0: I'm Um, I'm going to tell a story at the end of this class, Sarah, that I will, that is that point. Like what happens? I'm sorry it was unclear.
1: It's hard for me. I didn't email it because it's hard for me to articulate the question. Yeah, here. But it's like, it's you and, and the anxiety that you have between like the Hashem that you pray, like what you do in that situation. So it's like hard to articulate. So I'm sorry if it was unclear, but I...
0: When we feel secure, trusting... Trusting that God's in our life and loves us and is holding our hands, and I can, and I, I believe that we've all had moments of that. Everyone in this room has had moments of that. They saw God's hand in their life, and when you had that moment, when you realise, like, there, like, oh my gosh, maybe there is something bigger. Oh my, oh my gosh, like maybe there is something. You know that feeling? Everyone's laughing, right? But when, when you had that feeling of like, whoa, like, where, are, what? what? Mm-hmm. <sighs> like, it's this like deep peace. That's how you get rid of anxiety on a spiritual right. level, right? When I feel strong connection. In fact, if you're interested in this, Miri actually is working, or has worked, or is has working, working, has worked working. in the Manhattan Anxiety Center, yes, Center for Anxiety, Center for anxiety with a, a man named Dr. Rosmarin David Ros R-O-S-M-A-R-I-N O R R O S M A R I N. Definitely Google it. Mm-hmm. He did a ton. He was Kellerman's Talmud, right? One of he was my one of my rabbis for a long time. His talented student, and he did a, a thesis he did a lot of research on treating anxiety disorders, really clinical disorders even, with trust in God. Mm. Literally this concept, he did a ton of research they found very significant results. Now it doesn't mean you skip and bypass doctors and therapists, but he found that when you worked with a spiritual group as well, it made a drastic difference
1: right So that yeah Jen. You said that we've touched on that we've all had that moment in our lives where we have like, aha uh-huh, is a higher being. And to your post today, earlier, Nalini, staying connected to that, like, uh-huh feeling, how do you do that through the course of the year and the months and the days where you maybe do feel that anxiety or that it's no longer there? How do you keep yourself connected to that feeling or that inspiration?
0: This is, I cannot, this is like the class. It's like, do you understand? It's like we all have a unity consciousness and everyone's tapped in. I'm like, where, were you all preparing the class with me? Like, what? It's like so bizarre. Like, how do you, and what's the perp- Like, what? So it's about turning towards God constantly. Whenever I feel that, the antidote to that feeling is means. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling anxious. That means on some level I'm disconnected. Right. Let me like just close my eyes for a second, wherever I am or wherever I can be, even on the subway. Put your earphones in, close your eyes, pretend you're listening to music, you know, like, <laughs> and just like ask yourself like like. Firstly, talking to God is a big, a big connector, right? Humans need speech to feel connected, right? When, when someone comes to me and says, "I believe in God, but I don't feel connected," many people, many many, many people say that. So I say, first thing I say, you're talking to God aloud. Right? the halacha says, the Jewish law says that you have to talk to God aloud, loud enough in a whisper even in your own words, not formal even but your informal prayer loud enough in your own words that you can hear it in a whisper so that's odd because it's surely if there's a God he understands what I'm thinking and feeling right, so why do I need to speak aloud so the Torah says hello, welcome um, the Torah says that we, um, we have to speak aloud so that we feel connected that humans need speech to feel connected, right? So the first thing I ask someone when they're coming to me, they say, I believe in God, but I don't feel connected. I say, are you speaking aloud? No. And they're like, no, I feel silly. <laughs> Most people feel silly. I say, okay, you'll feel silly for a week. Then you'll get over it, right? So let yourself feel silly. Do it in private. No one has to know. Right? It's free. You don't have to pay money. There's no deposits. And if you, want, if you don't like it, you can stop. But try it. And then after a week or two, they like, yeah like we we need the connection right so you have to know yourself well enough. sit with Nalini sit with myself work out your patterns of how you disconnect because there's certain things that will trigger you to disconnect that will be different for me from different from you right so you have to work out um you have to work out your your what the way that you disconnect and connect okay so and and so That's once good. you oh thank you was everyone else hot? Oh, I, yes. was like, I was so hot, but maybe it's because like I'm nervous, because I'm teaching. I don't know, like, are you going to work it out? Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> you wouldn't guess it's yeah. nearly winter outside. Um, so, okay.
1: does that make sense? Yeah. So basically,
0: the, the quick answer is, without going into everyone's different, I could sit with each one of you probably for an hour and work this out. Right. How do you personally disconnect? Like, what makes you personally anxious as no your idea. own trigger? So this is amazing, because now you can go, okay, let me go self-exploring. Yeah. When do, when I like start noticing? When do I get anxious? What sort of things trigger me? What am, I th- what am I thinking about? Right, right. And in those moments, for sure, you're for sure forgotten about God, okay. and for sure, you're thinking just about it's like an old, well worn out pattern in your head of, of a th- certain thinking Absolutely. pattern. Absolutely, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so we all have these familiar patterns that we think. That are, I'm not talking about depressive thinking. I'm just talking about regular patterns yeah. that some of which cause you anxiety, but they're so normal and natural you just don't even realize their pattern. And then once you become aware of that pattern, you say, that's really not good for me. It's such a well-worn pathway. I'm not going down that path. You just close the door to that pathway. I'm not going down that path. Right? And it's like liberating. You don't have to think those thoughts. They're just thoughts, but they create your reality. The Talmud Talmud says we don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. Right? We're, We're a lens, and the way we look out through that lens is how we see the world, and then it reinforces the lens until we, like, transcend that lens, so to speak. Do you see how these questions are important? Yeah. But they're not a Torah class? Mm-hmm. So important. Yeah. They're great
1: questions. Yes, Erica has one. Um, I guess this is kind of in referencing you the Torah, but it's you related can. to a lot of different things. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You both answer. I'm, I guess talking about like temptation, like how to resist that, and I guess more like the Jews' perspective rather than like a how-to. Like you're tempted by whether it's eating bread or eating something on Yom Kippur yeah. or by one of your other many vices, how do you kind of resist that without just like saying, Okay, don't do it? Like when something's telling you to do it. Get the apple from the tree, like any Yeah, yeah any just rep- dis- any temptation, any yeah. test. It's along the same lines. Yeah, huh? Seems like it's the- also the same thing. Yeah. It's less think- parallel, I think it's more of like yeah. how you think about it in so the path or So myra race 12,
0: right? Sumerat, turn from evil and do good. So there's two different things in there. One is taking yourself out of a negative situation. Mm-hmm. Turn from evil, meaning evil being the thing that's going to disconnect you. There's things in our life that disconnect us that don't allow us to be our higher self. That's called Sumerat, turn from evil, right? It doesn't mean it's really evil. It means it's just got not good for you, right? right. So that means I have to set up fences and things that protect me from that thing. So when I was when I was a, a, a specialist in addictions and we were, I was running 12-step groups in hospitals, the first thing we said to do was you don't go out to a bar and say, I'll have a Coke, right, with a friend because it's their birthday. There's a birthday going on at a bar and you're an alcoholic and you're, tr- you're struggling with that. You don't go right up to the evil, to the poison, and go, I'll just try a Coke, right? You, you, you see how that's funny, but do you understand how many people we do this to ourselves all the time? All the time. I'll just do a little bit, right? Um, I've been trying to separate from my phone a little. You know, break up with my phone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And like one of the things in the morning, I don't want to be on my phone for an hour in bed before I get up. It like, doesn't it make you feel yucky. It feel, like, it, it's, it's addictive. You know? so, once, so then I was like, I'm going to get up and say my blessings in the morning. I like, pray something first. So at least I acknowledge God before my phone. Right? That was like my own personal thing for the people this year and then I thought oh but what if someone calls me as an emergency so then I better check my phone just to see for calls but I'm not going to check Facebook or my emails or Instagram or anything I'm not going through anything I'm just going to check if there's any emergency calls do you know how hard it was to stop myself from looking at anything once you're on the phone looking at the calls it's like an alcoholic going to a bar having a coke. right so that's it I have to go my phone in another room haven't done it yet but that is my plan. <laughs> but that is my plan. like I know, at least I'm being honest, I know that for me I have to... okay, I'm gonna do it tonight. Can you hold me accountable tomorrow? Um, okay, now I to tomorrow, tomorrow morning all the WhatsApps are gonna go off finally gonna to respond to me on WhatsApp, right? Sorry, right. Did you where's your phone? Where's your phone? Right? I'm not I'm not gonna answer you till ten. You know um, But you know, like I have to put my phone in the in, in the main room. Like in my not in my bedroom, not by my bed, right? In arm's reach right? Why? Because it's not likely I'm going to get up in the middle of the night and trek to the other room to look at my phone, but if I wake up and I'm half awake, I can just read through it, right? You all know, I know you all do
1: it too, right? Okay.
0: <laughs> so, so, to returning from evil, setting fences is one thing. If you know that you have a tendency, a pattern, then you don't set yourself up for the failure, that's number one, and doing good means filling yourself up with the very thing that will connect you in the area that you're tempted to disconnect, which is what you were saying, right? So, if I'm... I was trying to turn from evil, put my phone away, and pray first before I look at my phone. For me, that was trying to put in holiness rather than fill that hole, in a sense, not hole, but that connection with the disconnection. That's why the, 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 the media, the, the phone is so, is so seductive because it feels like connection but really disconnection. It's so, such an illusion. It's so powerful. right? It's, it's like unbelievable how powerful it is now, how, how illusory it is. Um, but you know when you've been on it for a long time you feel disconnected it doesn't feel connected right so the, the the feeling of turning phones off for a shabbat is like freaky because you feel like you're going to be disconnected and the irony is you're the more connected you've ever been and if you allow yourself to feel that you feel that then it becomes a relief every friday i turn my phone off and i don't feel that feeling at all when i really separate i'm like ah oh, why am i do this all week so with anything tempting it's setting fences and then filling yourself up with the good you can't just go on a diet where you don't eat chocolate and junk food. You have to give yourself beautiful, delicious, yummy food, right? That you want to eat, not just eat with rice crackers, right? It's not, it's not fair. Fill yourself up with something that feels yummy and wholesome and healthy and good, and, right? So those two elements are always going on with anything. Um, does that make sense a little bit? Yeah. Every topic is like hours and hours.
1: Do you have anything? Yeah. No. I have another example, but I think it's great. It was <laughs> comprehensive. I well, felt and in in more observant circles. Why it's not in I don't know if that's the question you're asking. Yeah, yeah. You know, why it's not I think it's also on a holiday. like it's not like a, a, not rice, a big, holiday compared to Right. To so, right so I was gonna holiday. say there's no laws <coughs> right that are particular to Rosh Kodesh. Um, meaning, you know, obviously something that okay, we all who knows, you know, people we can't eat and, you know, Esach, there's no mat, there's no uh, bread, you know. There's nothing that is as halachically binding, um, you know, when it comes to Rosh Kodesh, which I imagine might be one of the reasons I would attribute. It's, it's not really like a, it's not a halachic holiday. But I mean, there are, there are changes in the prayers, um, so for people who are, you know, consistent with their prayers, there will be some additions. But other than that, I don't know if there's any real you know, tangible ramifications that are required by people other than in the prayers. Do you know why it was given to women, specifically? It was no. our holiday? I, I mean,
0: no. So it was given, to, I correct me if I'm wrong, but um, when the, the golden calf, when Moses was up on the Sinai getting the Torah for us and we basically so quickly forgot that we were saved by miracles and Moses was up there for us and whatever, and we got, we got freaked out and we started feeling anxious, Sarah. <laughs> um, see, even, it happened way back then, right? Really they did. felt anxious, even after they saw open miracles. There,
1: people came out, yeah, yeah, they went through the sea. God <laughs>
0: did a million miracles to get them out of Egypt. Yeah. They went through the desert. They got to Sinai. He's up there on Sinai, this prophet who speaks directly with God, and they still had anxiety. They basically miscounted, and they were like, oh, my gosh, he's not coming down in time. Oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. He's left us. He's died up there. Who knows what's happened? And so they, they basically created their own worshiping idol, with the golden calf and the women, they wanted to put the women's gold and necklaces, everything into it to make the gold and the women said no and they stayed true with clarity to the spiritual reality that we cannot do this this is not good and we're, we're trusting in God and He's going to come back and because the women had the spiritual fortitude to see the, the nation through so then we were given this special month of Rosh Kodesh because the moon is often the feminine as well the moon is represented by the feminine and the, because it's the feminine the moon, the Rosh Kodesh is about the cycle of the moon it was given to us to have a special, to feel special on Rosh Hashanah. There's, a, there's also the special power on Rosh Hashanah tonight, and tomorrow, the first day of every month, is the energy of that whole month. So um, we talked about El, El. remember the week of the month of Rosh Hashanah? That's about renewal. So every month there's books you can actually get to show each energy of the month. There's a certain energy. And how you are on Rosh Hashanah is like a mini Rosh Hashanah spiritually. So you want to, you know, like it kind of sets the groove for that month in your in your. You know, everything goes after the beginning, right? Meaning how you say start, start something is often the way it will continue. So the beginning of every month is like a little mini—not that you're judged, but it's like sets the, the, the tone for the month for yourself. Um, so we, we dress up and we feel special, and we don't focus on all the mundane. We focus more on holy pursuits, which is why you don't do laundry as much. It's a mitzvah to wash for bread on Rosh Kadesh, right? To have a bit of a suda you don't have to, but if you want to, that's a mitzvah. Whereas other days, it's not a mitzvah to wash as much as like I'd love it to be. Right. So, um, so, uh, and women get yeah. People get a little bit more dressed up. So it was given to us as a special thing because we stay true to the spiritual truth. which I think women find easier generally. There's always exceptions, but women find more in touch with that internal clarity, and that's what that celebrates. Rosh Hashanah. So often there'll be Rosh Hashanah groups where women get together. In Australia, my first exposure ever to Judaism was a Rosh Hashanah group in Sydney where we did a meditation. I ended up running the meditations every month. And um, and we'd have like wine and make it all beautiful and we'd sit in cushions and we'd have candles on and it was like really cool and we talked about the energy of the month and the meaning of the month and the theme of the month and then we would do a little meditation about what that meant. So like that was something that happened a lot, you know, around the world and different different places. Yeah. Okay. Wait. Yeah, anyone else first? No, okay. I wanna
1: know what pray as hard as you can um, because So far it's my class. <laughs> <laughs> so then maybe you can go to yeah. it's yeah. because I, I see and I don't know the exact verbiage, but like I see in like Torah portions that I read or like like advice from the Torah. Like if you pray as hard as you can, you actually get what Hashem wants to give you, which isn't necessarily what you want, but like it's what so I wanna know what an actionable meaning of that is. Yeah, well I'll,
0: let me talk about the class. Yeah, well, we, got, we might just stop the class in my two minutes. There was one out behind. of <laughs> it's unbelievable. There was one. There was one question as well in the box, which was, um, why do women cover their hair?
1: You interested in that? Take away? Okay. Um, so, the source uh, for hair covering is actually biblical, but some things are of rabbinic origin in terms of their, their uh, the, source in Jewish law and some things are actually um, derived from the verses in the Torah. So there's uh, in uh, Babidgar, I Numbers, Numbers. Thank you. In, um, in Numbers, which is the fourth book, in Harsha't uh, Naso, if you want to look it up, I'm, at, uh, I'm not exactly sure which chapter. Um, it talks about how um, a woman who is being accused of being alone with with, a, with another man, not her husband, and after foregoing warnings, and she's been told, you know, don't do anything inappropriate with this guy, even seeing you and hanging around, out with him, or, you know, she's been warned, and there were witnesses that saw her secluded alone with this man, um, and she's suspect now of having committed adultery, so she is brought before the priests in the temple, and she has to go through a process, uh, and this is in order to prove, so she says, I'm innocent. She says, yes, obviously she was alone, with him. that is, you know, irrefutable, right? She was clearly alone with another man, but she says that they did not, she did not commit adultery. They did not have sex. So um, in order to prove her innocence, she is, there's a, there's a process that the Torah describes, um, she has to go through in order to clear her name. And she's brought before the priest in the temple. And uh, the link, the, the actual verse, I don't know how much to you, but it says that the priest, it says, parat he uncovers her head. So it's from this phrase para et that he uncovers her head that we understand that a married woman has a covering on her head. Okay, so that's actually the source of the biblical source as to why you know, how we see that a woman's head must be covered. Now there's, I mean this is a whole, I do a whole series of classes on this A very, very uh, full topic, um, and there's many different ways, you know, at many different angles we could go, you know, with, with the subject. But that's, if you're asking what the source is, that's the source. Interestingly, it does say para et rocha, which is her head, as opposed to her hair, okay, um, and that's why there are plenty of different opinions. I mean, it's, that is the, the, the Paran you know, is true to uh, the to verse, but, um, so that's why there are different, I don't know if you've seen this, different ways women will cover their hair. There's this community discussion about what the requirements are, whether, where she is, whether she's in her home, or yeah. she's in her courtyard, or she's in public, or she's, Hara et rosh sorry. So Hara et covers the, the head of, uh, of the woman. Thank you. Um, so that's actually the source. But so when comes comes into how she covers her hair, when she covers her hair, where she covers her hair, there's a whole different range of opinions and that falls under the rabbinic uh, discussion and rabbinic law um, and, and, and category. But certainly, it's, it is interesting to know, I don't know, but how many of you have been to Israel? I feel like you see more different strands of uh, observance in Israel than we do in, in America. So, uh, you know, it's not uncommon necessarily to see a woman who covers her hair but is also wearing baggy pants, okay, or, you know, shorter sleeves, um, and is not adhering necessarily to the strictest standards of uh, dress, um, in other, you know, in other ways. And this is said without any judgments, okay, but the, again, a source for it is because we see that hair, hair covering for a married woman is actually the strongest, um, is the source in Torah, in the verses, versus other aspects of dress, which are of rabbinic nature. So people take hair covering actually very seriously and uh, a certain amount of, uh, you know, stringency than other forms of uh, modesty, I don't like the word, but for lack of, of time, we'll use that right now. All right. Go for Great. it. Great. Why don't start? Let's start the class. I'm taking the have... class. Yes.
0: Yes. Okay. I am. Yeah. Do you know all the classes are on sold NYC podcast on iTunes? Yes? Okay. All right. So basically, um, this is the first week of a series of four on prayer. No problem. You can leave. We don't hold anyone captive. Um, this is the first. Um, actually, where should I put this here? The first week of uh, four, a week of four, uh, four series on prayer, and um, and the 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 paradox really is that someone's already brought up. How can you ask for something that's it's meant to be? Right? If God is good and He's going to give it to you anyway, so what does my praying have to help with anything? Right? I'm gonna change his mind. God's decided to give you something or not, and then I'm gonna pray and it's gonna really change his mind. Yeah? What what's this is like these are some of the questions that come up about prayer. So I'm going to do two weeks on more of this general idea, philosophy, understanding it, and we'll up our perspective on prayer, what's the point of it, um, what does it mean to, to, to pray as hard as you can, all these things. And then Malini's going to do two weeks on going more deeper into the formal prayer, like the structure of the sitter, what's what what's going on in each service even, just so you know it's flying if you go into any service, right, so you understand more of the details. Okay. So to understand anything we talked about, there's two things you do to understand anything in Judaism. If you want to understand a concept, you go... Okay, source. To the source. Back the first time in the Torah where it's mentioned. And there's a second thing you do. Do you want to understand the essence of the concept? the root. Huh?
1: The root?
0: Yeah, the root of... The word. The word. The root of the Hebrew word and where it's first mentioned in the Torah give you exactly what that concept is about and what Torah says about it, Yeah, what Torah's view on it is. So if we look at prayer, the first time we find prayer is I already gave you a clue Adam, Adam right? Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 and 5 Who would like to read
1: in English? Yeah. Um, such is the story of heaven and earth when they were created, when the Lord God made earth and heaven, when no shrubs of the field was yet on earth, and no grasses of the field had yet sprouted, because the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the soil. Great.
0: So here's that like, the example that we just spoke about, that there were plants under the ground, right? When the, when the world was created, there was no shrub of the field that was yet on the earth, no grass of the field that sprouted because God hadn't sent rain. Right? And there was no
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh sorry. And there was no there was no one to till the soil, to work the soil. So working the soil here doesn't mean working because there wasn't there was no such thing as that kind of work. Um, and Rashi jumps on the idea. that um, on that that source, if you look at the next source, right, he said, because God did not cause it to rain. What do you mean God did not cause it to rain? If God wants it to rain, he'll make it rain. Why had God not caused it to rain? That's the question, right? Because there was no man to till the ground. That doesn't make sense either. So Rashi also jumps on that and says, what what do you mean there's no no man to till the ground? There's no man to work the ground. There's no such thing as work. So he jumps on that too. He says there was no one to recognize the benefit of rain the whole idea of rain there was no one to appreciate it so when Adam came he was created he realized that it was necessary for the world and then he prayed for it and it fell so that the trees and all the vegetation came forth right so you see that the first prayer came from a recognition and appreciation that oh my gosh I realize now what God's about and who I am and I'm inadequate and I can't I can't do this I need to ask for help but it came from a sense of an appreciation, an ability of recognizing what rain was. And interestingly, the word for rain in Hebrew is Geshem. And when you pray for a rain, Geshem, which is a spiritual looking to heaven, if you look at praying for rain, you're literally looking kind of up to heaven, like, please rain, right? So it's a spiritual looking upwards. The whole idea, the whole symbol, the deeper idea of praying for rain, Geshem. Geshem also, you know, is is transfers or translates into Gashmi. Gashmi is the physicality. It's a word for Gashmius. So if you notice Baruchnius is spirituality, Gashmius is the physicality, like Gashmius is like beautiful houses, beautiful cars, beautiful clothes. Gashmius is the physicality of the world. So it's interesting it comes from exactly the same root as Geshin. When I turn to the rain to look upwards spiritually and I ask God for help it turns into blessing, bracha. For yeah rain also represents blessing, bracha. Right? It turns into a, a blessing of a physicality, that that's how we bring down into physicality. So it's a fundamental idea, and, and prayer is referred to as a Shebelev, work of the heart, which is what Sarah was asking before. What does it mean to pray as hard as you can? So there's a term here that avoda Shebelev, the work of the heart, is prayer, right? It's, that's the work that was referred to with Adav. It wasn't physical work. It was a Shebelev, a work of the heart. So what does that mean? It's the same question. You hear? Yeah, what does it mean to pray as hard as you can? Um, so how do, and how do we change his mind? How do we change God's mind? So the idea here is that when we when we are praying, we don't change God's mind ever. We change us. Yeah. We change us. We don't change God's mind. And I think that it's the biggest myth that, um, and I guess it's just a, like a lack of, a, of awareness of knowing that most people in the world treat gold like a vending machine, you know this? Cha-ching, cha-ching, ching, I'll do the right things, boom, 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 cha-ching, ching, ching, right? Give me what I want now, here's my shopping list. If I do the right thing, I'll be the good girl, right? I do, and I've, I've actually had students over, my, over the last number of years where they felt like they did everything right and then some tragedy, God forbid, came across them or some, something happened in their world, their life or their family or something. And they were absolutely destroyed for a while, you know, internally, because they didn't get it. There was like a complete paradigm shift. But what do you mean? I did everything right. Right? So if surely isn't there like a silent little deal that we make? That if I do everything right, then God will give me what I want and what I need? Like what I think I need.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So then we become devastated if that doesn't happen. So that's what really we're gonna look into more that idea of what is the function of prayer. Like why are we praying? What's going on? So it turns out, like, let's take money, because money's an easy one, right? If you have a lot of money, you could easily be distracted, you could be greedy, you could be selfish, yeah? I just want to use it to just meet all my own desires, as Erica was saying before, like just, you know, just just to feed my own desires. So if that's the case, and that's not good for you, or God can see where that's going to go, and you might self-destruct, he may not give it to you, right? He may not give you a lot of money, because you might hurt yourself with it. If you work on yourself and you get to a place where you realize actually no I was immature. Now I'm mature. I want to use the money for the right things. I want to use money to do good in the world. I want to use money. Of course I look after myself. Not about not enjoying physical things, but I want to use it for the right reasons. And you turn to God and you say, "I realize I was immature. Now I'm mature. Give me the money. I'll do something good with it." So that you see you changed and became worthy of being the vessel of receiving a lot of money. Yeah, it doesn't mean everyone who has money is worthy. Right? we don't know what the function is in the long term picture but essentially the idea is that God will answer you yes, no or not yet yeah? and sometimes the not yet is just because you're not ready sometimes the no is no, that really will never be good for you right? I could double my heart out for a Lamborghini I don't think I'll ever get it <laughs> right? don't need it yeah? but, but um, power in life is measured by the control you have over something power is measured by when you can choose not to do something really important. You're, you're as powerful in the world as you are by what you can say no to. So me ra ase tobe, like we were saying with Erica. Turn from evil. The more you can say no, I don't want that, no, that's not good for me, to that degree you're really powerful. There's A, a friend of mine Esther Wien does a class actually called the, the, uh, greatness is, 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 is invisible. Meaning, real greatness is what you don't see how hard it was to not speak and horror, and I didn't. How hard it was when someone was saying something and I walked away, right? That's just like speech. It's so hard. No one would know. No one would know the inner battle going on in you. Yeah? But that's your power. Your power is to make a choice that's mature and good for you and for the world. And it's hard. And often it's invisible. And often it's about saying no. Which is very quiet and silent. And not. you don't get a lot of attention for it, right? You don't feel, you should feel a million bucks when you do it. But often people don't. Right. Um, so ca- a prayer is the work you do on be on your being that changes you, and you work on yourself to become someone you weren't before. That's the avodah shebelev, right? That's what we're talking about. So let's go into the root of the word tefillah. Tefillah in Hebrew is, is um, comes from two different words, two different roots of the word, parallel and patil. Right, it's written, it's, written on your, uh, it's written on your sheet. Tefillah is from pel or Pel-el, pel and from Patil. So the two words for tefillah, for prayer, come from the root judgment and string. Thank you very much. What does that have to do with anything, right? Mm-hmm. Judgment and string. That's very nice. God's judging me, and I'm dangling by a string. <laughs> like, you know, doesn't give us a lot of hope. But let's look into it a bit more deeply. Patil tochelus. Has anyone heard of what patil tochelus means? Is the phrase patil tochelus sitsits? You know the blue sitsits. See, there's one blue strand. So one blue string. Tochelus is the type of blue, and teal is the string. So that's where you'll see that word petil used a lot, right? What's the function of a string usually? A regular string. Right. Ties two things together. So actually, a string. The function of a string is to create connection. That's the function of a string. So tefillah is a type of string. It connects you, yeah? It's an act of connection, which is very different than a way I can get what I want. You hear? Tefillah is a type of connection. It's different to just me just asking for what I want, hoping I get it. And it's a way of forming connection. So the definition of success in prayer is, not that I did, did I get what I want, but am I? is my connection different with Hashem today than if I hadn't gone through that prayer, that connection service, that prayer, my uh, davening, my prayer service? Like, uh, do I feel different in my day because of what I did with my prayer? Is my connection different to Hashem? That's the measure of success of the healer right? Now, I'm just highlighting it, even though we don't live there necessarily. I feel like, but what do you mean? I still want the job. I still want the money, <laughs> Right? So I'm just highlighting that that's really what, what we're talking about when we talk about connection. And our lacks and our needs and our worries motivate that relationship. Why? Because he's the source of everything. Right? We look upwards to heaven. We look up spiritually when we realize I can't give it to myself. I'm inadequate. And I look upwards to say, like, you're the source of everything. Please give me this. Please help me. Yeah, I'm worried about this. Please give me some answers. Right. so when I turn and I do that that's the work of the heart recognizing my humility recognizing my smallness turning to the source realizing I'm not the source you're the source that creates a humility that creates a connection that allows space for God to come into my life when I start to say wait a minute what do I really want this for right all those things the work of the heart all those things humble us and create a connection and then I exit the prayer different than when I walked in I'm talking about even informal prayer in your own words. Is this making sense? I exit the prayer different than when I went in. So imagine a father that loves his son so much and wants to see him. And the son's so busy, busy partying and going out and jobs and whatever. And he says, I'm going to give you an allowance. I want to give you an allowance of, uh, I don't know, 500 bucks. Come every Sunday for 500 bucks and give you an allowance. Yeah, once a week. Big allowance. Right? And. The son comes once a week, and when the son's there, he says, "How are you? What are you doing? What how's life? What are you up to?" Great. And then a couple months go by, and then he says to his son, "Rules changed. I want you to come every day, and I'll give you eighty dollars. It's five sixty. It's even more, right? Or seventy dollars. Let's say seventy dollars. Four, 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 ninety. I want you to come every day. I'll give you seventy dollars every day. By the end of the week, you'll make around the same." Every day he comes, the relationship changes. He wants the money. He needs the money. But every time he's there, father's like, how are you? What happened yesterday? What, what, what happened with that teacher? What happened? Right? So every day, as he goes, for the same exact things, the more you turn, the more you ask, the more you engage, the more that relationship builds. So God creates lacks in us and needs and motivations and worries and, and um, inadequacies so that we can turn to him and ask. Right. That's number one. We need food so that we need him. Right? Okay, so that Adam which we carried already. So you can ask, is our relationship with Hashem the means to solve many of our problems or are many of our problems a means to have a relationship with Hashem? You hear that? Again? Is our relationship with God the means to solve all my problems or are all our problems a means to have a relationship with God? That, yeah, yeah. Uh, is our relationship with God the means to solve many of our problems or, our, or are our many problems a means to have a relationship with God and you see many people approach it as the first one and really it's the second one so this is quite a paradigm shift when you start to realise this are we all freezing now yes, right. everyone's like looking at me like so just turn kind it of off
1: um,
0: let's let's talk. Have you ever seen a child starting to walk, and the mother's like encouraging the child, scared doesn't want us, she doesn't want the child to start walking, and then she pulls out a red lollipop, <gasps> and all of a sudden the toddler is so excited and like is really wanting to try to walk, and like the mother's going, come on, come on, come on, the kid just wants that lollipop so bad, right? Yeah. And the kid's walking, and, and it takes its first step. And like as it's walking, there's smiles on both the child and the mother's face. The ch- the child is smiling because he's getting towards the lollipop, but the mother's not smiling because of the lollipop. The mother's smiling because she's seeing her child advance. She's seeing her child grow. She's seeing her child become who he's meant to be. That is what's going on. We turn to God. Give me the lollipop. Give me the lollipop. Insert lollipop for a boyfriend, job, family, money, whatever you right. Give me the lollipop. Give me the lollipop. Give- yeah and God's like oh look at you. you you've just grown so much you passed that test you did so well oh my gosh you're great I, I, you, like that's exactly what's happening so next time you start pray to God in your own words even I want you to imagine right you're like give me the lollipop, right <laughs> and God's just like oh I love you so much right <laughs> That's what's going on. And he has to create lacks for us and things that we want so that we turn to him. Otherwise, we don't. Be honest. When things are going well, we just think, woohoo, my life's great. (laughs) Like, we just walk along. There's a kind of an ego. Like, there's kind of a desire, an arrogance a little bit. Like, life's great. Like, you know, it's working for me. Like, there's a sense of that. Like, we don't turn, like, humble and small and, like, yeah. When I mean humble and small, I don't mean low self-worth and feeling terrible about us. I just mean we we come from a bit more of an ego place and we don't really stop to, to... reassess our spiritual goals and spiritual priorities and we don't we're having fun, we're enjoying I feel great, I don't need to, it's only when we have a real lack that we really reassess and we turn towards God and we think about it okay many forefathers and foremothers famous ones, Rivka, Rachel Hannah, Leah, right they went through years and years of, of, of pain, suffering, right many of them didn't have children for 20 years These are the greatest women in the whole planet ever, that ever lived. So you say, isn't that mean? No, they were birthing the whole of the Jewish people. They were the core root of the whole of the Jewish nation that came out of them. And they had to be the bright types of people to be the mothers of the Jewish nation. So the only way they could get to become the greatness of who they were was through the work of the prayer. The prayer changed them. Rabbi Tatz, I was listening to a class at one point, said that all the other mitzvahs in the Torah refine you and refine different aspects of you It's like going to a gym and working on a muscle like a certain machine. Yeah. Prayer accesses your core, like the core Pilates, like Pilates on steroids, yeah. right? <laughs> like, like don't quote me on that. But like yeah, prayer accesses your core. It goes into the heart of, the, of, your, of your whole essence and it changes you from that place. right There's no other mitzvah that can access you internally in that way, in that essence. yeah in the same deep way that, that your real core. So, so so that's why the wor- that's why he holds things back sometimes because he wants your prayers, and then through the prayers, you actually refine yourself and change as you realize that you're really not in control. It's so brutal, so brutal to realize that you're really not in control. It really hurt. It's really, really hard. It's really hard to accept, really, especially the stronger you are, the harder it is, right? It's hard It's hard to let go, let go, let go. We go back to the hashtag, right, <laughs> Ill, right? It's hard to let go. It's hard. But the more when you do it, you go, oh, it's actually a relief. Why don't I do this before? Yeah? There's a a beauty in surrender. There's a beauty in letting go. Not giving up. Letting go. Big difference. Yeah? Do you know the difference between letting go and giving up? Letting go means I let go like God. I let God handle it. I'm going to let you handle it. I'm not giving up. I'm still going to try and do everything. Right? Giving up is like, I'm out. I'm out. I can't do this anymore. I'm out. Right. That's 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 as much. Do you you don't, probably don't realize this, but giving up is exactly the same level as being being control freak. Do you know that? Being a control freak and being in control all the time is the same level of development, actualization, spiritual level as giving up, despair, giving up. We want. We're aiming for the middle of being in surrender mode, where I acknowledge God's in control. I'm still in my full power. I'm still trying everything I want to do, and I'm still busy doing it. But I am, I'm allowing this huge space there where I don't know the whole story. God's in control. I don't understand the outcome necessarily. And, and I'll trust that he's leading me to a good place. And when I have that trust and that connection, the patil, the connection, that's when I don't feel anxious. That's when I don't feel anxious, when I have that. Right? right? Um, when, when we forget God's in charge and we think we're in charge, it's really anxiety-producing. When we think we're in charge, there's a lot of... That's a lot on your shoulders when we secretly know we really have no clue what's on Like, really, in our day-to-day life, we don't really know what... I don't even know how I do that. I'm just doing that. But I don't know how... I have no idea how I'm doing that. Really. Right? I don't know how I'm doing that. I just say, move my hand up. No, I could not tell... Right? In the simplest things, we think we're so cool. Like, we know everything. We just... I don't even know how anything works. Like, everything's just working because I want it to work, and it just works. If you actually stop to think about that, it's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing that everything just works the way I want it to work, I have no idea how it works, and I don't make it work. <laughs> you know, like when you come out of the bathroom, you should be, like, screaming for joy that everything worked because there's so many things working. It's, right? That's why that, that blessing after the bathroom is a very powerful blessing. It's one of the most powerful blessings, actually. If someone says, what blessing shows take on, I usually recommend that one. I share Yatsar. Yeah. Because it's about, it's like miraculous every time you go to the bathroom. Miraculous. Just come out and go, whoa!
1: (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Serious. And when
0: you're sick, and if any little thing's wrong, whoa! Yeah. Any little thing is wrong. Like either way. It's really painful. Really painful. Really hard. Really scary. Really horrible. Right. And like everything just works all the time without, you know, it's really it is really miraculous, and it's the only bracha. That, in, that says, I, I, um, I bring the. Uh, it brings the lowest of the low up to the Kisei I've covered up to the throne of your glory, right? So taking the lowest of the low, the bathroom, up into the throne of your glory. If it wasn't for you Hashem I couldn't stand before the throne of your glory. But I'm talking about that when I have just gone to the bathroom. So it's talking about the most. When you when you bless on the most lowly, it creates the most kedusha. There's a whole other idea about that, right? Anyway, you're elevating the most, the most lowly. All right. So it's interesting there's a there's a phrase that shem squeeze the matriarchs more and more and more and they increase and then they increase the intensity of squeezing out of themselves what they need to be. This is the Avodah Sheva the work of the heart when you say what does it mean to pray as hard as you can? God sometimes and this is hard, it's like a different class even, but sometimes God will create a situation and the Torah the, the Torah refers to us as olives. Why? Have you ever seen olive oil made? How's how's olive oil made? press, just like gently, just pat them. (laughs) Pat them. Hard. hard. They like squeeze them, right? They crush them, right? They squeeze and they crush them. Only through the crushing and the squeezing is the beautiful olive oil extracted, right? This rich, beautiful olive oil, right? So unfortunately, we're called olives. Why? Because there's times in life where God will push you up against the corner and he will squeeze you in a certain position, in a certain direction, in a certain pressure that you would never wish upon anyone and let alone yourself and you don't choose it and you don't want it to happen but you're in it so what do you do you have to dig deep there's no way out like at that point you've got a choice give up collapse keep going yeah keep going and be stubborn about it or dig deep inside of yourself and pull out something else yeah and sometimes it's only because we're squeezed and pressed in that position, in that time in our life, in that moment that we are forced to dig deep and dig out a potential that we never knew we had, ever. And you come out of it and you look back and you go, whoa, I would never wish that on anyone, but boy, did I change through that. Boy, did I change. That was a pivotal moment for me. Looking back, it might take five years, ten years. It might be in the future. that You look back. And why? Because when you're in a, in a painful situation and you're forced to dig deep, and you're turning to God, it's like your vessel is carved out. There's a there's a, there's a carving out of yourself inside that you couldn't have done had you not been in that position, squeezed at that time. Yeah? So that also leads into the whole idea of the mechanism of suffering in life. Like why is there suffering in life? What what what's the point of suffering? If God is good, why is there suffering? Big question. Whole other series we might do. I don't know, it might lose everyone at the first class. But pretty intense. But, like, yeah, but that, you see where it links in here. Why? Because there's, there's times in life where the suffering is the only thing that makes you great. If you look at the many, many tzaddikim, big, big, great people through the history of the Jewish world, they went through terrible, terrible things. Chief Rabbi Lau, who's, a, who's alive now, you read his book, Out of the Deaths, what he went through in the Holocaust, it's, it's mind-boggling. Like, and he was a child innocent child what he went through right but you meet him now and he is unwavering in his knowing and his truth and his inner strength you feel it from him if you if you meet him yeah he's unwavering now, I mean, i'm sure there's many things that contributed to that but when when someone hasn't been through any hardship you can feel this is sometimes a lack of depth it's not their fault but this is lack of depth why because they haven't haven't been squeezed they haven't been squeezed they haven't had have to go in and like find it they haven't been raw and humbled and like inadequate and like found that messy place it's really good to go to that messy place i hate to say it it just is by messy place i don't mean feeling bad about yourself beating yourself up or judging yourself that's a different messy place that's not good that's a downward spiral of like beating up yourself right that low self-worth place that's not what we're talking about we're talking about like i need to change things and control and I can do better and I want to do better but I know you love me and I know I'm amazing and I have a lot of potential. That's that's the right place to come from, right? Humility means I'm awesome thanks to you. It's got nothing to do with me. I have no idea how I move my hand, right? That It, it means I'm, I'm great. I've got a lot of potential. I've got a lot of work to do and I can't take credit for that, right? I can't take credit for everything. I can take credit for my choices. That's it. Sometimes I make good choices. Sometimes I make bad choices. But in life... Um, Prayer is the is really the mechanism that gets us there, it gets us to somewhere different. And um, there's the famous there's the famous scene at the sea at the end of, at the sea when we came out of Egypt and we're standing by the sea and we have power's army coming behind us. The sea is in front of us and there were wild lions coming. Right, so we were cornered, completely. Like, hello, that's pretty mean. Right, we just escaped Egypt, Right. Why? God t- t- cornered us like an olive again, pressed us again. Why? So that we would call out to him. We would acknowledge that even though we saw all these open miracles, you're still the source. Still you. We have to cry out to you. And through crying out from that place of the depths, we, we, we started to turn into the nation that we were, were about to become. Yeah, And it's only then that Naqshan jumped into the sea. Right, and trusted in God that He's gonna save us anyway. Nachshon is the guy that the, the Jew that jumps straight into the sea, trusting that if he just jumped, Hashem would help. And it was because he jumped that created part of the thing, part of these the sea, right? But it needed the action of man again and the prayers of man to, 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 to change reality. Um, so so in life we have to um, change ourselves. And when we change ourselves through prayer, we become someone different. We become the vessel that God can then give that original thing to. So that one of the answers, one of the questions we asked was, so what's the point of praying for anything? If this whole thing is nice, it's about a teal, it's about being a string, it's about being connected, what's the point of praying for anything? Right? He's going to give it to you anyway if it's good for you. If it's not, he won't yet yeah, because you're not ready for it. So what's the point of praying? Yeah? So the main answer to this is the idea that through the prayer I then become the vessel that can receive the very thing I wanted whereas I couldn't have before. Yeah? Through prayer I refine myself I make myself greater I make myself bigger I make myself more mature um, I, I internalize a reality that I couldn't I didn't before and through that I then become the person that is able to handle the power that comes with whatever it is I want. Whether it's a new job whether it's money whether it's Whatever it is, connections, uh, programs, <laughs> running, whatever, trips, you know, like, whatever it is. So I want to end on. Um, interesting timing, I want to end on a uh, story, the story I was going to tell before. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the, the uh, palel part of it. Palel means I judge, a judgment, some sort of judgment. So what's being judged when you're praying? That's scary. It's not really you're judging yourself, right? It's an assessment. We'll talk about that. But um I wanted to share a story that really, really, um, really brought this idea home in me and it was an experience that I had, and I wasn't at all aware of anything Jewish in my life at all. I wasn't even aware of anything, anything to do with Judaism. So it kind of sometimes has more punch to it because I wasn't even like my mind was creating something, like it was like this was a reality I experienced through this through this story that um really demonstrates what what everything we've been discussing. So um Firstly, does that answer your question, Sarah, about what does it mean to pray your Absolutely, heart out? Yeah. That you have to dig deep inside yourself, and like, and the more you, you don't have something, the more you get the more even sometimes, sometimes not having something is the squeezing. Right. Yeah.
1: It's to prepare you.
0: It's to develop you. It's to develop literally to develop you. Right. Um, to become and you become a different person through that squeezing through the through a shem holding back you become a different person, right? Because because you have to dig inside yourself to keep praying from the bottom of your heart. Yeah, and more and more things come up the more if you let yourself just talk to God the more things will come out that you you would shock right? it's what his photo did, just letting it free flow um, why? because you're getting to deeper la- layers in yourself you find out different things about yourself if you let yourself just talk like, just free flow vent to God right? Um, okay, so basically years and years ago my first job out of university was um, working with homeless kids I think I've shared this with you in different capacities before and I was in this particular job and there was a co-therapist there that I was dating at the time uh, for quite a while, but I didn't really, I didn't really trust him fully, and I didn't know why. Right? Otherwise, he was a good guy, like there was, you know. And we done a lot of, we were doing a lot of work together. Actually, we were doing, um, we were we were running a an experiential program for homeless kids, at-risk kids, uh, with addictions and everything. And we were doing wilderness therapy with them. We were taking them out to the wilderness and we were doing a whole program that was really really exciting, really interesting. Worked so well on them because they loved getting out of the the normal society, you know, where they'd been scapegoated. So we took them out into the wilderness. We did like three, four-week programs living out there. It was crazy. Um, And anyway, we had really good results. So we decided to um presented at, a, at a drug and alcohol conference, like a conference for all people who work in addictions, and we were accepted and we were invited to come and present. and I was quite young. I was in my like mid 20s and so I was like so excited because this was like a big career move and it was like big to be able to present. I was so nervous. I'd never done anything like this before. and um, I wasn't even on, I wasn't doing TV yet, so I hadn't even done any kind of speaking, right so it was like freaking me out, but really exciting at the same time, you know. And um, the deadline came when we had to get the conference stuff in. And uh, I was getting, all, you know, we were getting ready. And on the, the day of the deadline, I was calling his phone and he just wasn't answering. And I kept calling his phone, he's not answering, he's not answering. And, like, the deadline's getting closer and I can't do certain things. He had to do certain things. And I, there was so much to do by the deadline to get it all ready. We were making a whole big board and, like, it has to be all, whatever, for the, for, the, for the display and it was a whole thing. And I couldn't get hold of him, but I felt he was up to something. I couldn't describe why I felt that but I felt he was up to something and he's ignoring my, my calls. You know that feeling when you feel someone's ignoring your calls on purpose? You don't know why, you just feel that way. So I felt he was ignoring my calls. I haven't told you this story, have I? I felt he was ignoring my calls and I didn't know why and I was getting more and more and more anxious. This is exactly the scenario you were describing, right? I was getting more and more and more anxious into knots and you know when you get more anxious, there's only two options. Like, you either have to know how to diffuse it or I should have gone to the Manhattan Anxiety Center yeah. but, like, but I wasn't here yet and, um, or... Or you, can, or you can basically um, just become like a psychopath and keep calling someone 15 times, right? <laughs> so I chose a psychopath option. And I
1: called... I'll be I'm going to Um
0: And I called him <laughs> honest, like I'm about, I'd say about 11 times, right? Because I knew he was ignoring me. It was driving me crazy. And at some point, I was in such knots inside myself because I didn't know what else to do, right? I didn't know what else to do at that time. Um, and I did... Oh, so little pause outside the story... I didn't really know if there was a god. I I wasn't like this big spiritual connected person. Like I, I was like I don't know. I didn't know anything. Like I knew nothing about Judaism, nothing about God. I did I was open to the idea that maybe like there's something bigger, right? But I didn't have all this this training and, and and classes that I've had now like years and years of beautiful people teaching me all these amazing things, right? I didn't have that. So I, I thought there's something bigger, there's something higher maybe going on. I'm open to that possibility. That's where I was at. And sometimes I would like think about it I don't know if I really talked but I remember at this point I was in such a knot of anxiety that I just said this is ridiculous because I believed in something higher and I was like "If if there's something you want me to know you'll let me know I said that aloud yeah which I never used to do either but I think I was in such knots that I was just like I can't handle this I was like I didn't know what else to do so it like forced me through the pressure and the squeezing different type of squeezing this is the type of squeezing into a place of surrender which I didn't I stumbled over I totally stumbled into it If there's something you want me to know, you'll let me know, right? That's a a place of surrender. And I remember just physically feeling like I handed it over to something higher. Literally. Like, you deal with it. I can't deal with it anymore. And I felt this deep calm inside myself. And it was exactly this idea of flipping out into a world of connection, disconnection that I do with you before. Some of you have done that class, my class. Well, it's two two different worlds inside of ourselves, a world of connection and a world of disconnection. Anyway, it's a world of anxiety, basically. I flipped out of this world of anxiety in one second flat, why? Because I turned towards God, I acknowledged his existence, said you're in control, I'm not in control. That's essentially what I was saying and doing, right? I'm not in control, there's something you want me to know, you'll let me know. I let go, let God, you, you take over and I, I'm letting go and I'm, I can't handle this anymore. That's essentially what I did. All of these things we've been discussing, I just stumbled across it, I didn't know. But you see that truth is truth is truth. It doesn't matter if you know the paradigm and the labels and the, the words in the Hebrew. This is the truth of the world. So I acknowledged God's existence, gave it over, and a minute later or two minutes later, maybe three minutes later, my phone rang, and it was the guy. And I was like, oh!
1: <laughs>
0: Like, I remember, like, really, like, being shocked. Like, whoa. Like, that was such a divine response. I couldn't believe it. I was, like, so excited. So I picked up the phone. I said, hello? 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 Like, I put, there's no one on the phone. And I'm like, it's definitely his number. I saw his name. I mean, it's definitely his name. I'm like, hello, hello. There's no one on the line. But he's there. I can hear in the background that he's somewhere busy. And I can hear these. da Come on, come on, come on, come on. And I hear his voice. Come on, oh. Again. Come on, come on, come on. Can you guess where he was? Casino. Casino, right. He was basically in a bar gambling. And I found out he had a gambling addiction that I never knew about. From that phone call in his pocket, because his phone had called my my phone in, in his pocket, and I remember being so horrified and delighted at the same time. I had never felt this feeling before, right? Of like horrified what I was hearing, and absolutely delighted that I had this new best friend that was like listening to me, <laughs> like oh, I was like. Like, I I remember just being, like, so freaked out, right? Horrified and at the same time, like, so excited and so in awe and so, like, oh, my gosh, like, you're really in my head. Like, you're really here. Like, here. Like, you care about this little thing, right? And I remember just, like, I was in shock and I was just listening for a while and at some point he realized his phone had called my phone by accident and he said words I can't repeat here Mm -hmm. and he hung up. And uh, I texted him back and said, it makes me really sad you need to do this. Let me know when you're done. Needless to say, that was the end of the relationship. Um, but, I mean, it's, be- you know, the beginning of the end. You have, like, five breakup talks. You know, you
1: know, you know, you know what it's like.
0: And, uh, and, uh, and, then, uh, and then after that moment, though, that was like, that was a defining moment where, where you could have easily looked at that moment and said, what a fluke. Oh, what a fluke. What, how random! Oh my gosh! How random! You know we say that all the time. <laughs> oh my gosh! How, no, absolutely not! How random! There's no such thing, right? Right? We say it all the time. How random? No, absolutely the opposite. Right? Not random at all. Right? So, and so the more you notice that in your life, I mean that was a big one. This happens to me every day. Just so you know, right? But the more that happens, the more that little things happen every day where you notice the connection, the patil, right? Every day the more you start realising, whoa, the statistical probability of God not being in my life is so slim. Yeah, It can't, ha- can't be that these coincidences keep happening as complete random coincidences, even if they're little tiny little things. Can't it just can't be statistically probable. That's coincidence, right? It, it's just not that it can be random. So, um, and the more you see that and notice that and watch for it and look for it, the more God likes to show up in your life. And the more you talk to Him and the more you internalise that, so, I don't know. I feel that me turning towards God in that moment and letting go, I became a different person in that moment. And you can see so clearly that I did in that in that scene. Where well, I was this anxious mess that felt in charge of everything and uh, I've got to work it all out. Ah, uh, stress, stress. Right? That's how we go through our lives a lot of the time. And I had a glimmer of reality of like, let it go. You're in charge. I'm not. Oh, how, whatever. It's so. It's so much more peaceful to live there. It really is. Like, if you really can get there. It's, it's really like you're like why can't I do this all the time right? I still think this to myself right and I became a different person I became someone who was actually connected to something higher someone who was not holding on to everything not a control freak someone who let God be in charge someone who totally trusted yeah and I became a different vessel in that moment and then I didn't need the test anymore and the second the end of the test you hear so sometimes the test the holding back is the test and when you become a different person then you can just stop the test as well because you already changed yourself because the goal is for you to change you not for him to give you what you want. Yeah? So that, that people see prayer wrong. It's not about a vending machine. It's not about getting what you want. It's about you changing you and then you can become a vessel to receive that very thing. Unless that thing is really bad for you and then God won't give it to you anyway, ever, no matter what you pray for. Because he loves you. He doesn't want you to destroy yourself, right? Because, you know, if it's bad for you, if it's good for you, you're just not ready for it, then he'll hold it back. So, any questions, comments, protests? Makes sense? Yeah.
1: I have questions, uh-huh. I mean, I can say. My biggest question is what happens when you're not getting squeezed? How do you connect and grow and everything when you're not getting tested or tried and life is good and you're like anticipating that something bad's going to happen because that's how he tests you and makes you learn?
0: Right, so the best thing you can do is to focus on all the good in your life. The way to really stay connected is to focus ra- gratitude Focus on the good in your life. Like I said, you should be coming out of the bathroom, like, like, whoa! Like, you know, there's so many things through your whole day if you actually focus your lenses correctly, if you like new spiritual glasses to look at, that you should be thrilled, grateful, awe inspired, um, watching for God's hand in your life, noticing like moments of pratas, divine providence in your life. And then the more you do that, the more God doesn't really need to squeeze you if you're starting to grow and change yourself. That's the other benefit of that. Meaning, not always when God squeezes you, it's because you haven't worked on yourself. So let's right. get rid of that idea. But, some, but if you're working on yourself and you're noticing that you're like waking yourself up as much as you can to, to your day to day, then it makes sense that God doesn't need to squeeze you. Because if God loves you and wants you to become your best potential for who you could be and you're not doing it, then God has to squeeze you to become that.
1: Right.
0: And if you're doing it anyway, the, 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 unfortunately, human nature is when things are going really well, we generally don't do that.
1: Right.
0: And it's hard because you get numb to it. Right? right? Uh, it does not mean that you have to feel guilty if you like zone out and you're you know you don't appreciate everything. But it's always good to appreciate. It's always good to, to fine tune uh, your your spiritual lenses, your glasses about how you look at your life, um, so that you see the good. That you focus on the good. You focus on what you know. There's a real sense of entitlement in our generation that we're deserving of everything. And when something goes wrong, then I get really annoyed. That's the absolute normal attitude. I basically, everything should be coming to me, and when it doesn't go exactly as I want, I'm really irritated. That's terrible and spiritual destruction. Like, it's total spiritual destruction. So, we should be working on the idea that I feel nothing is mine, and I feel so grateful every single time I get something, or see something, or have something, or someone does something for me, or, right? And and resensitize ourselves to that gratitude. Because that is the most important foundation of Jewish growth, right? Yeah. I'll
1: ask later, actually. Okay. Any other questions? Yeah, one no question. Last one. Um, you mentioned about the patil, the string, mm-hmm. the importance of it, how it brings you connected. So why is it that guys have a TC connection and why don't girls have anything to do with string?
0: Oh, brilliant question. That's like a salt slam question. Um, girls and men and women connect differently. So we naturally connect? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's exactly why women don't have to do many of the external structural things like, it's amazing. The whole Jewish system, there's many things in the Jewish system that we use and do and be and act in order to connect us internally in the right way, right? That's everything, right? Even bowing in prayer. The fact that we have to bow in prayer. You know, the spine represents ego. Did I talk about this already? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we bow, we nullify our ego. That's a, It's a reminder to me. God doesn't need me to bow, right? So, so it's all put into the system so that we connect with the right place internally. So why do guys need to wear kippahs and we don't? That's unfair. I should be able to wear a kippah, right? Of course you can wear a kippah. There's nothing wrong with a woman. Meaning, it's not, it's, not, it's not forbidden for a woman to wear a kippah. Why don't we? We don't need it. So I feel, I feel bad for women who wear kippahs because they feel like they have to do what the men do because they're assuming they're exactly the same. Men and women are not the same. They have very different strengths and weaknesses. And they need different things. So, this is, I know this is radical and maybe not very not PC, but like this is a Jewish perspective, not my perspective. And what is yarmulke? Kippah is a yarmulke. Yura Malthus. Yarmaka stands for Yira fear of Malthus, heaven. Why? Because women are more internally naturally connected to that to that connection, that spirituality. And men, in their power, which we need their power in life, like their power is good, their ego is good in in, in, a, in a lot of areas, but sometimes because they've given that dose of wanting to be the, the hero and like God, they need a reminder, there's something above you always. So the kippah, the, the Yarmulke is that there's something always above you. The strings are representative of the mitzvahs, yes? 613 mitzvahs. Mm-hmm. So they, if, 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 again, they forget and they disconnect, they just have to re- look down, rem- remember, hold on, whatever. Women are internally, we don't have any time-bound mitzvahs. We can do whatever we want. We can pray whenever we want. We can go to shul. We cannot go to shul. We, we, really, why? Because women walk through life more connected in that reality. Mm-hmm. And so we don't need the structural formation that men do we don't have to pray in a minion men connect more together ten men together let's go three times a day let's pray structurally because we need that structure to help us connect internally and women's like oh I don't need that I actually to be honest I pray much better at home much better at home by myself much better Sure, I'm distracted I'm looking around mm-hmm. right I asked my rabbi who's a, a big rabbi he's a post sec and I said do I have to go to shul even on Rosh Hashanah I said no not at all In fact, if you if you pray better at home, you don't have to go to shore. We should go to shore because it's good to connect with the community. It's good to meet people. It's good for people to see you for dating, for you know whatever it is like. Just so people know you know other people whatever. It's good to go socially, but you don't for prayer. You don't have to go to shore, right? So does that does that make sense? sense. There's like totally different reasons. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna address this. Whoever's coming on the Israel trip. We are going to address this with a woman called Miriam Cosman. She wrote a book called "The Spiral, The Arrow, The Spiral," and the, no, "The Circle, The Arrow, and the Spiral," and about masculine, feminine, and the interweaving of two. She's famous in this area. She's absolutely amazing, and we're going to do like a three-hour workshop with her on, on the whole thing. But, um, but she, yeah. But the basic bottom right, bottom line reason is that we need different things to grow, and we need different structures. Thank you. Sound good? Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank Stay you. tuned. Thank you. That very Thanks, My pleasure. Thank <laughs>